Well, good morning. I, I'm back, and I'm appreciative uh, of the, for the invitation from Owen. It's I, I, every time I think I'm going to check and see how many years uh, we've done this, and then I forget to check. But I know it, it's been um, quite a number of years. I started, we were in that other building. This building didn't exist. This auditorium didn't exist. And, um, and Mike was a pastor way back then. And uh, I think, I don't know if we did James or I can't remember, 1 Corinthians. But uh, started doing that every year. And so I was pleased uh, when you called Owen as your pastor. And then I was pleased he invited me to continue doing this and I don't take it for granted uh, there may be a year or there may be the future where they decide uh, that they need to go a different direction with the Bible study but I'm I'm pleased to be here this I know we're doing it this year and it's Jeremiah and I'm very pleased to be here um, just a sketch about kind of where my life is at the present time um, my oldest son Luke is a senior at Shawnee High School uh, so I remember he was a much he was a little little fellow when uh, I first started coming. I don't even know if my other child was born. No, he wasn't even born when I first started uh, doing this. He's 14 now. He's a, just turned 14. Uh, he's a seventh grader at Dale uh, Middle School, junior high. Uh, Angie's doing well. Uh, won't tell you her age, but she's doing she's doing well, and. Uh, and then I'm, I've been at OBU, I think, she, Cammie would know this better than I would, <laughs> she, could find, she could find it, I think this, I'm finishing my 23rd year, I started in the fall of 97, so I, I have to figure that up, but it's been a while there, and um, let me see, I was interim at Quail Springs, and it ended, I think, two years ago, February, and then I started at First Baptist Midwest City, and I think that's what I was doing last year when we did this, I was at I just started at First Baptist Midwest City, uh, and I finished that about five weeks ago and started at Waterloo Road, uh, which is far uh, north, like on the edge of Edmond, uh, and then whatever's Guthrie or something out there. It's right on the edge, uh, far north uh, Edmond, and so I'm doing that uh, on Sunday mornings. They have an 8.15 service, so this feels like Man, I'm feeling good this morning at 9.15. So, here, here we are. What are we going to do this morning? We're going to introduce Jeremiah, a portion of this first ses session, and then we're going to talk about Jeremiah's call. That'll finish out the Sunday school hour, and uh, then we're going to come back in the, in the worship service, and uh, we're going to do Jeremiah 7, his temple sermon. And, uh, so th and then that's what we're going to do this morning. So I would say, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, now, you know this is quite a task when you take up uh, Jeremiah. I don't know if you realize this, but Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament. Now, not by chapters. Psalms has it by chapter. But if you're just talking about word count, there's like 33,000 Hebrew words in Jeremiah. It's the longest book of the Bible. And so, you know, to do it in about six hours, which we have, is a, is a challenge. And heck, we could do it for 60 hours, and we still have a challenge. But we won't be able to hit everything with the same depth. Um, and so, uh, just, just know that. Let me give you just an overview of the content of Jeremiah, this 52-chapter this book, and kind of uh, how it's put together. Uh, it, it, the first, there's chapter one is his call, and we're going to deal with that in just a moment. I think that's, that's the central point as we come to Jeremiah to understand what he's doing, what he's saying. He's been commissioned by God. He's appointed to be an apostle to the nations, and that's going to drive everything that he's saying and doing. It's his commission. It's his call. So we're going to do that. That's chapter one. Uh, and then chapter two through chapter 25 is a series of uh, Jeremiah's prophetic oracles, speeches, and actions all that all happened prior to the Babylonian invasion. And we're going to talk we're going to hear a lot about Babylon and the coming Babylonian invasion in Jeremiah. That's going to happen in 586 BC. And so that's out there waiting for us. That's what Jeremiah is pointing toward his entire prophetic ministry which is about 40 years 
That's about how, that's the, the length of his prophetic ministry. So when we look at chapter 1, we get the call. Chapters 2 through 25, it's all oracles that happened prior to the invasion, uh, primarily earlier in his prophetic ministry. And uh, it comes to a climax in chapter 25 where he says the Babylonians are coming and we're going to be carried away into captivity for 70 years. That's sort of a climactic moment. He gives a length of how protracted this invasion is going to be. And uh, so that's chapter 25. So that's sort of the first section. The call through chapter 25. Then chapter 26 through 45 is the second big section. This is much more of the judgment that's coming from the Babylonians, and it actually arrives. And we have uh, at least one chapter in that larger, in that section, 26 through 45, where the Babylonians actually arrive and start destroying the city and tearing down the temple. So 26 through 45 is more of the judgment arriving. We see Jeremiah being persecuted in this section, 26 through 45. He's not going to be a particularly popular prophet. We'll say more about that in just a moment. So that's 26 through 45. Then 46 through 51, that'd be the, the third main section. This is where it's his prophecy to the nations. He's going to be called to be a prophet to the nations. Well, chapters uh, 46 through 51, that's where he actually speaks to the nations. So it's just one nation after another that, that's in and around, and then the Babylonians. It's those nations close to J Judah, and then the Babylonians. So it's just Egypt and Moab. It's just one right after another. It's God's judgment coming on these nations. And then chapter 52 is like the destruction again. He describes the destruction, the invasion by the Babylonians. And then there's one short epilogue at the end about Jehoiachin, one of the kings of Judah that gets carried away into captivity, uh, is no longer a prisoner, but he gets to eat at the king's table. And in a lot of death and destruction, there is one bit of hope at the end uh, that these Israelites are not always going to be held in captivity in Babylon. So that's the big picture. So uh, let's, let's do a little more uh, introduction to Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, I would say of the prophetic books, they all find relevance in our present day. It's remarkable how these prophets who were prophesying in the 8th, 7th, 6th, even 5th century B.C. to Israel and Judah, how their words can seem so relevant to our own situation. And Jeremiah is certainly that way. He talks about the coming death. He, he talks about the coming destruction, um, the political upheaval. And, you know, you look around, you read the newspaper, and you get the same sense in our own time. The political upheaval, uh, the, the warnings about danger and disease. I mean, this morning, I bet not everybody shook hands this morning like you normally shake hands. You know, maybe we're supposed to be doing that uh, or uh, wink. I, I hear you know, we should wink rather than, I'm not much of a winker, but uh, wink rather than shake hands. Uh, or maybe the side hug or something like that. Because we've got this threat of the coronavirus. Who knows what's going to happen with it? It might be, we might never hear much about it. And it might cause things to be canceled like basketball tournaments and teams playing before no crowds. Who knows? But just that uncertainty out there leads to unease. And for those who do not find hope in Jesus, I think there's a lot of cynicism and a lot of hopelessness in the world. And, and that's precisely what we find in Jeremiah. He's this prophet who's talking about the coming death, the coming destruction, the, the uncertainty in the lives of these Israelites. But here's the good news. In the midst of all of that, 40 years of that kind of prophecy, Jeremiah also has a word of hope. Now, now here's a good prophet. One who tells us the hard truth, but not without hope. And that's what Jeremiah seems to be able to do beautifully. Um, he's sometimes called the weeping prophet. You're aware of that? Well, because for 40 years, he's telling his fellow uh, inhabitants of Judah that the Babylonians are coming. For 40 years. 
And for 40 years, the Babylonians don't come until the 40th year of his prophetic ministry. But you think about, that's your message for 40 years. Death, destruction, repentance first. If you repent, God will turn away his judgment. At some point, they cross the line, and, and and the offer of repentance really is not much of what he's saying. It's the destruction's coming, the Babylonians are coming, and here's what we need to do. It's too late now to repent. What we need to do is just surrender, be carried away to Babylon for 70 years. We'll be purified through that experience. Then we can come back to the land, and then we can be the people of God again. Now, that's your message for 40 years. First, repent or this destruction's coming, and then the destruction's coming, so just surrender. Now, you imagine a prophet saying that now, or a preacher saying that now. We've gone too far. We've violated God's covenant. God has, we've gone beyond the point. God's going to bring death and destruction on us, and, we, and it's going to come in the form of, say, the Iraqis or the, the, some you know, Middle Eastern uh, country that we've, we continually seem to be at war with, they're going to invade us, and we shouldn't even fight. We'll just surrender, get carried away to the Middle East for 70 years, and then when we come back, we can be the people of God again. Is that going to be a popular message? You're going to get called all kinds of things, not the least of which is you're not very patriotic for saying we should just surrender to the invading enemy. Um, and that 70 years, man, most people are thinking, well, I'm not even going to live that long. If we just surrender and get carried away, I'm never coming back to the land. And so the nature of this man's prophetic career, 40 years of that, the reaction to his preaching from his fellow Israelites And just the death and destruction that comes at the end of his prophetic ministry, this is why he's the weeping prophet. And uh, just a little bit about him. Uh, Jeremiah has a prophetic, or he has a prophetic, yes, uh, but he also has a priestly lineage. He's from the village of Anatoth, just a few miles, uh, about four miles from Jerusalem. He's born about 650 B.C., He's born during the time when Manasseh is the king who rules Judah. And Manasseh rules for almost half century. And it's one of the darkest periods in the history of Judah. You know, that when, the, when, the, it, when Israel splits in the north-south, Israel and Judah. So we're focusing on Judah because by the time Jeremiah starts to prophesy, Israel doesn't even, the northern kingdom doesn't even exist anymore. So we're focusing on Judah because that's where his ministry is going to focus, the southern kingdom. Um, Manasseh's the king for about 50 years. And here's some words that would describe Manasseh's rule during that half century. How about apostasy, idolatry, he leads the people to worship Assyrian deities, Baal, corruption, social injustice, violence, bloodshed. The writer of 2 Kings in 2 Kings 21 says he's the, he's the most evil king that ever ruled Judah. And he's the king when Jeremiah is born in 650 B.C. So he's born into a rather dark period in Judah's history. Good news comes about 640 B.C. because Josiah, the boy king, he becomes king at about age 8. Josiah becomes king and he's a different kind of king. He calls the people to, to repent. He tries to clear the land of all the idolatry and the worship of the pagan deities. And about 629 B.C., that's when his real revival begins. Two years into that, God calls Jeremiah to be his prophet. So about 627 B.C. So how old is Jeremiah when he gets the call? About 23 years old. So this 23-year-old priest from Anatoth gets the call to be God's prophet at the age of 23 in 627 B.C. He will not have the opportunity to choose his time. God chose that for him. But he's faithful in the time he's chosen. And for that, we should follow. Uh, So his his rule is going to play out like this or his prophetic uh, rule or reign or prophetic ministry is going to play out like this. 
Um, about the first 22 years is going to take place under Josiah. That's a great time in Israel's history, as kings go. But then it's going to be kings like Jehoahaz, who rules for three months before he gets carried uh, away to Egypt. Jehoiakim, who's going to rule for 11 years. Jehoiachin, another king who rules for three months before he gets carried away to Babylon. And then Zedekiah, about 11 years. And at the end of that period, that's when the big Babylonian invasion comes. So that's a bit, little bit of the life and ministry of uh, Jeremiah the prophet. One more thing before we get into chapter 1. How about the making of a prophetic book? I, I don't think we think very much about uh, how we get this prophetic book. But, you know, a prophet is not typically a writer. Prophets are speakers. Prophets are people who are given the word of the Lord and they speak it to the people, like a preacher. And yet we have these enormous prophetic books. Isaiah is not much smaller than Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the largest book in the Bible. Ezekiel is another of those pretty massive books in the Old Testament. So that's three of these big writing prophets, but they're not writers, they're preachers. So we don't get much insight into how those spoken oracles and essays and poems, how those all find their way into a written account. But we get it for Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 36, which is a, it's a wonderful chapter to have because we get an idea about how the book of Jeremiah comes to be written. God tells Jeremiah about 22 years into his prophetic ministry. 22 years in. God tells him to write everything down. Everything he said, everything he's done, put that down into, on, on a scroll. 22 years that's like your life's work put it down all the prophetic oracles write it out Jeremiah being smart says I think I need a secretary and so he gets Baruch Baruch becomes his recording secretary and the two of them write out 22 years of Jeremiah's ministry so there you got about half of his prophetic ministry in a in a book and when it's done Jeremiah tells Baruch to go to the temple and read it. Now, um, Jeremiah can't go to the temple because he's already been told he's not welcome there. So he sends Baruch to read it. So Baruch goes and just starts reading this. And it's like an anthology. It's not like a chronological sequence. It's like he's just put together what he said, what he did, and it's sort of an anthology, and so it doesn't read quite like a chronological biography. It's just the things he did and the things he said, and, and, and not necessarily in a chronological sequence. So he goes and he reads this in the temple. And uh, Jehudai, who's uh, the, the head of the temple there, an officer of the king, um, Jehoiakim, when he hears about this, Jehudai, he tells the king, Jehoiakim, about this prophetic book that's being read and how awful it is, how destructive it is, how it's talking about all these the terrible things that are going to happen. So Jehoiakim says, well, go get it. I want to hear what it says. Go, go get it and read it to me. So Jehudai goes and gets it. He reads it to the king. And while he reads it, the king is standing next to a fire. And while he reads it, after he'll read a couple of columns, he cuts that up and puts the, puts the writing into the fire, burns it, just a little bit at a time. Jehudi reads a section, cuts it, throws it into the fire. Of course, by the end, he burns the whole scroll. 22 years. An enormous project. Joachim just burns it, which is a which is a sad picture of someone rejecting God's word. Here he is, hearing the word of the Lord, a private hearing of the word of the Lord recorded in this Jeremiah scroll, and he's cutting it up and throwing it into the fire. Well, you know, I'm sure Baruch wasn't able to save that document. There's no second copy. That was it. So God tells Jeremiah to do another one. And so he does. And that's the basis of this book of Jeremiah. 
And I don't know how long that took. We end up with 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry. But it also helps us understand why it's not like a chronological sequence. It's like the sayings of Jeremiah, the poems, the poetry of, of Jeremiah, his laments and his actions. And it's just put together like an anthology of his career rather than uh, like a biography that reads from birth to death. So here's going to be your problem. If you sat down this afternoon to read these, this, these 52 chapters, it's hard to read because it doesn't read from like the beginning straight to the end. It sort of weaves around and you'll think, well, that king's dead, and then he'll show up later in the story because it's not in chronological sequence. And I think we learn why it's not by the nature of the way it was put together. It was meant to be an anthology of his prophetic career, more topical than it is chronological. So how do we get this book, 33,000 Hebrew words? Well, I think we got it because that's the way God told he and Baruch to put it together. So now to the text. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and the call. So the first four verses is just sort of intro. It tells us the span of Jeremiah's prophetic career. Uh, about that, that 40, 40-ish years that he's going to be prophet. And so we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read the first 10 verses. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. And I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow to build and to plant. Now there's there's a captures that idea of telling people the truth. Destruction is coming. That's the uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow. But not without hope. And that's the to build and to plant. So here's the heart of his prophetic call. It begins with Jeremiah's commission in these first 10 verses. Here is the commission, and note, it comes from the Lord, directly from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. And I think that's the first thing I'd say about this. It is God who calls. The nature of the God that we come to know in Scripture is a God who calls, who calls us. The God that we come to know in Scripture is not a God that we're all searching out, trying to find, and finally we're able to locate Him. The God of Scripture is a God who could not be known unless He revealed Himself to us. And so He does. In creation and in more specific ways. Through the nation of Israel and ultimately through Jesus of Nazareth and also through His Word. So the God that we come to know in Scripture is a God who reveals Himself to us and who is seeking and searching and calling us. I, I saw a video, um, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago, and it was David Platt, and it was just about a minute long. I think it was a series of these videos that maybe the uh, IMB was doing. But he's talking about, he's trying to characterize how this, this idea, this popular idea out there that everybody's searching or seeking for God, some version of God. You know, if, they're, if you're Muslim uh, or from a Muslim country, you're seeking for Allah, and if you're uh, Jew, Jewish, you're, you're seeking Yahweh, and if you're Christian, it's the Trinitarian God, and you can go through all the world religions, and everybody seems to be trying to climb the mountain to get to what they understand as God. And the general consensus out there is everybody's climbing the mountain. It's the same mountain. They're just taking different paths, but everybody's trying to find the same God, get to the top of the mountain where the same God is. That's a misconception. Because the God 
of Scripture is not a God who's sitting on top of the mountain waiting for us to find Him. The God of Scripture is a God who comes down to us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He's seeking us. He's calling us. This is the nature of the God that we've come to know in Christ. A God who calls us. Now, when you think about God calling you, you should first think about the call when you became a follower of Jesus. You, you might call it conversion, your conversion experience. Can you still remember that? Now, there's some younger folks here, so it's not been that long for you. It may have been within the last five years, maybe within the last decade. And then there's others of us who are older. I'm, I'm about to hit 55 here at the end of the month. So it's been almost 45 years for me since I recognized this call from God to come. Uh, Middlesboro, Kentucky, southeastern Kentucky, 1975, if you can imagine that long ago. And then some of you, some of you right now are thinking, well, you're just, you're just a kid. It's been 60 years for you, or longer. Can you still remember that experience? Where you realize that God was calling you, wooing you, convicting you. And, and, and I've said this before, I'm sure you've heard it before but you didn't find God that day God was searching for you now that's conversion okay that's the thing that, that that's where it all started for you in your relationship with God but here's the second call that we often neglect to talk about there is no conversion without a commission if God calls you to be one of his children then he has commissioned you to do something important in his kingdom and that's the call that we often overlook there's no conversion without a commission i'm talking now about your giftedness i'm talking now about what it is god has created you to do he has gifted you to do that thing whatever it is and and that's why it's so important to just Think about your spiritual giftedness. What is it that God has gifted you to do? And how are you going to put that to work doing what it is he's commissioned you to do? But whatever that thing is that God has commissioned you to do in his kingdom, whatever that is, God is the one who calls. Now you, I'd say the vast majority of you in this room, you probably wouldn't be here for Sunday school at, uh, at 9.15 in the morning if you, uh, if you weren't claiming to be a follower of Jesus. You, you've answered that, that initial call. But there's this commission that comes with it. Have you answered that? Have you thought about what is it that God has made me to do? After being his child now, after being part adopted into his family, what is it now that God wants me to do? What, did he, what was I made to do? What giftedness has he given me for that? And, and I just want to make it clear that God is the one who calls. Now, your call might not look like, I don't know, Moses with a burning bush. You remember Gideon in Judges 6 where the angel of the Lord's like under an oak tree and calls him there. Uh, Isaiah's in the temple on the Lord's day and you know he sees this vision of the Lord and an angel touches his lips uh, Saul on the road to Damascus these are the these are the greatest commissioning stories in God's redemptive history and most of our calls aren't like that your call might have been more inaudible might have been more internal but that doesn't make it any less real. Every commission comes from God, and it is by His revelation to us that we discover what it is He's made us to do. The other thing I'd say about God as the one who calls is the personal nature of this call. Some people say, well, yeah, we're all called to share the good news. We're all called to make disciples. Yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. Of course, everybody has these general commandments that are given to all these people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is the personal commission that God has for you. And 
for Jeremiah, we find out very clearly what his is. But, but I just note the way he uses the personal pronouns, even in this section that I've just read to you. In chapter 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 7, the Lord said to me. And then look at verse 9. The Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, not to everybody, to me. Then go down to verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? Verse 12. The Lord said to me. Verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? Now here's what strikes me about Jeremiah, not only in his call, but in the, the remainder of his prophetic book, is the way he uses these personal pronouns. The, Lord, the word of the Lord said to me. And then the way he uses his name, where the way God addresses him, Jeremiah, and he includes that in what he writes. The Lord said to me, Jeremiah, do this, say this. Now to get an idea about how Jeremiah emphasizes the personal nature of the call, Isaiah is a prophetic book almost as big as Jeremiah, not quite. Only 16 times in Isaiah does Isaiah say, the Lord said to me, Isaiah, you know, where he includes his own name. Sixteen times. Now, Hosea is a much smaller work, but only three times, where Hosea says, the Lord said to me, Hosea. Ezekiel, which is a big prophetic book, only twice. But in Jeremiah, 131 times. The word of the Lord said to me, Jeremiah. Now, how personal is that? It is God who calls, it is God who commissions, and this is a personal God. So don't think in terms of what is it we're all called to do as a church or as the people of God. I'm talking now about a personal commission. What is it? Now the contents of the call, so it is God who calls. Verse 5 gives us the content of the call. And here's the word. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah starts when he describes his call with the reality that God had created him. That's where his commission started. I, before I formed you, that's, I created you. I formed you. And what's that sound like? What's that remind you of? I formed you. Like Genesis 2 where he forms man from the dust of the earth and then breathes life into him that language of forming man out of the dust i formed you before i formed you in the womb that's a pretty good sanctity of life uh text before i formed you in the womb i knew you and uh, that's the same language we get in jeremiah 18 when god tells jeremiah to go down to the potter's shop and watch him make pottery and he talks about the potter forming the pot out of the lump of dough. That same image of God forming a pot from the lump, forming man from the dust. This is the picture of creation, of God creating us and then breathing the breath of life uh, into us. So the commissioning starts with, I created you. But more than that, before I created you, I knew you. And the word he uses here is a very personal term for knew you. And some of your translations might even translate it chose you, which would be a good, very fine translation of this word. It's the personal word that is sometimes translated in Scripture in the right context as like a man knowing a woman. Now, you know when the Old Testament says, like, you know, Adam knew Eve, it doesn't mean like he recognizes her when he sees her in the street. That's as intimate and personal as a husband-wife relationship can be in the Old Testament. Uh, Adam knew Eve. It, it speaks of intimacy, but not always. But it can have that, that kind of intimate nature. That's the word that is used here, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And, and uh, I've tried to figure out how's the best way to capture it uh maybe maybe in modern language it might be something like 
Before I formed you in the womb, I had my eye on you. And, and I, I'd be good with chose you. And it gets my C's working together here, so I'll go with that. Created you. God created you. God chose you in a very intimate and personal way. That tells us that whatever the commission is that God has for you, there's no room for boasting. And there's no merit in it. He doesn't choose Jeremiah to be this prophet at this time because he knows Jeremiah is going to be a really good boy. It's before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. I had my eye on you. That's two C's, created and chosen. Now, before you were born, I set you apart. Now, he goes back to this image, even in the mother's womb. Before I formed you, I chose you. Before, I, before you were born, I set you apart. Now, I'm looking for C words here. And I, I got a good one, consecrated. That means to be set apart. Before you were born, I set you apart. I, I consecrated you. Another way to say it is sanctified you. That's what the word means. It means to be set apart. So it means that you are no longer living for just common purposes. You've been set apart for something special. Jeremiah comes from a priestly lineage, but his, his career is not going to be like the other priests. He's been set apart. And in, in, in Scripture, uh, a person can be set apart. The nation can be set apart. Israel can be set apart, consecrated. Priestly garments, bread can be set apart for, for a particular purpose. Like the holy bread was bread only to be eaten by priests in the temple. The holy garments worn by priests had a special use. They were only worn by the priests. And, and here's God saying, I created you, I chose you, and I consecrated you. I set you apart for this purpose. The purpose I have given you is not a common one. It is something I've set you apart for. And then the last line, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And that's the language of commission. So how about created, chosen, consecrated, and commissioned? And the thing he is commissioned for is to be a prophet to the nations. He's, he's the lone prophet in the Old Testament who gets that kind of prophetic call. All the other prophets speak almost exclusively to either Israel or Judah. But not Jeremiah. He's going to be a prophet to the nations. He's going to speak to Judah, but he's also going to speak to Egypt and Babylon and Moab and Edom and all these other nations that are surrounding this is what he was commissioned to do. Now, I, I've got some certain news for you. It's not going to be easy. He's going to have an incredibly hard ministry. Forty years of telling people the destruction's coming. And, and you know, people might tend to listen to you at first but then when what you say is going to happen doesn't happen they start to doubt that you're truly a prophet and so for 40 years he's saying the destruction's coming and and it it comes a little bit before the end of that 40 years there's an invasion about 30 years into his ministry it's a smaller one from babylon they carry away some people but then it's 10 more years before the big one comes that he'd been telling them was going to happen 40 years of that and yet, he never stops. People want to kill him. They put him in jail. His friends say, let's just wait till he trips up and then we can kill him. That's what his friends say. And he keeps going. Um, and how do you do that? You do that out of a sense of calling. Out of a sense that God has commissioned you for this. This is what he was born for. He will say, I wish I could stop, but it's like a fire in my bones. Now, we often, I, I, I hear that a lot, like 
preacher, we need more preachers with fire in their bones. Like it's, you know, it's like people who are fiery, you know, breathe fire, preach hard. But when Jeremiah says that, he doesn't want the fire in his bones. He says, I wish I could stop because it's ruining my life, my social life anyway. And it's causing me to be put into prison. And even my friends want to get rid of me. And I'd just like to stop. God, couldn't you give me a positive word rather than all this death and destruction? And he says, but I can't because it's like fire in my bones. Now that's a picture of someone who's commissioned by God. And, and it becomes his inescapable compulsion. He'd like to quit, but he can't because this is what he was made to do. Figuring that out is hard. It's not always easy. So that's, I say it's hard. Some people say sort of no. But, but for most people, figuring out the thing you were made to do takes a while. You know, I see these 18-year-olds arrive on campus at, with a major and a certainty about what they're going to do. And then, uh, then some of those that I don't know until they're like juniors because they've just changed their major into Hobbs College. So that's where I meet them. Or I was their advisor their first semester of their freshman year, and then they're, they're moving to the business school. So they might come by and say, hey, I'm changing my major to business, so you're not going to be my advisor anymore. And sometimes that happens more than once in the OBU career. And, and you can, I, I see these 18 to 22-year-olds trying to figure out what exactly is it that God has made me to do. It's not always uh, easy to discover that. But once you've discovered what it is that God made you to do, it should be your inescapable compulsion, not something you can quit. Jeremiah says, I wish I could quit, but I can't. So there's the commission. So uh, what follows is not just, yes, Lord, I'll do it, whatever you say. Just give me the assignment, tell me where to go, what to say, I'll be there, I'll do it. Look at verse 6. So here's Jeremiah's protest. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak, and I'm too young. So he, he says, um, you're calling me to be, to be a prophet to the nations, to speak to the nations? And of course, to my own nation. Well, you know, my preaching resume is not very good. Just look at it. I'm never going to get a job. I've never held a, never been a pastor, never had any church staff experience. I never won any kind of speaking award. I, I just, I'm just too inexperienced of a speaker. I'm not very good at it. And I'm too young. 23. He was young. But that's the protest. And it, in Scripture, it's, it's frequent that when God commissions someone, their first response to that is the protest as to why they can't do it. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, burning bush. Go to Pharaoh, told him, Pharaoh, tell him I sent you. Let my people go. And, and what's Moses say? Stand there scratching his head. Well, I'm not a very good speaker, you know. And... Um, same thing with Gideon. I mentioned him earlier, Judges chapter 6. He wants to lead the Israelites against the Midianites. And he's like, but I'm, I'm from the least of the clans of Israel, and I'm the least in my clan. I can't do that. And, and Saul, you know, Saul gets his commission to be a prophet to the nations, similar to Jeremiah. And all he can th say is, but I was a persecutor of the church. I can't do that. Nobody's going to listen to me. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. God's told him to go speak to the people. He says, but I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm too sinful. And, and there's just this, this constant drumbeat of the first response to God's commission is protest. All the reasons why I can't do that. And here his is, I'm not a very good public speaker, and I'm too young. Verse 7, though, Verses 7 through 9, here's God's reassurance. And, and it, here's what I, I appreciate about the way God handles these situations. 
He does not bring the, 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 you know, the hammer down on. What? You're refusing me? It's always a reassurance. I think God understands something about what a radical idea this is for a human being that, that God would commission me for something. And the first thought is, who, me? Maybe that's better than, oh, yeah, I've been waiting on this all my life. I'm really ready for this. I'm well equipped to do this. Maybe that sense of arrogance means you don't even need God to do it. Note all these people who recognize their weaknesses and why that might exclude them. And, and look at God's reassurance. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to. So there's the mandate. I'll choose the audience. Don't worry about your age. I'll choose the audience, young or old. And I'll send you. Uh, he said, I'll, you go everywhere I send you and say whatever I command you to say. So don't worry about your resume. Don't worry about what you know or you don't know. I'll tell you where to go and I'll tell you what to say. It's my mandate. So don't worry about your inadequacies. And that means that Jeremiah won't get to choose his audience. He won't get to choose a favorable audience. And he won't get to choose what he says. So he won't get to say things that make them like him. But he won't have to worry because don't worry about your resume. I'll send you and I'll tell you what to say. So you got this divine mandate and which is going to be a hard word to bring verse 8 do not be afraid of them for i am with you and i will rescue you and there's the there's the, the the one that just keeps coming back through all these commissionings in scripture when somebody is fearful that they're not equipped they don't have the gifts they don't have the talent they're not is i'm with you really that's like the most profound promise from beginning to end of all scripture, I am with you. There's God stooping down, fashioning man out of the dust. What better picture of being with, you, with us, even in our creation. And Revelation ends with the declaration of, of God's grace being with you, being upon you. Revelation 22.1, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Sort of the beginning and ending of the whole thing. And everywhere in between is this reassurance that I am with you. And that's what he gives to, to Jeremiah, the promise of his divine presence. That's what he told Moses. That's what he told Gideon. I'm with you. That's the Christmas story. He should be called Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus is getting ready to go up into the clouds at his ascension, he says, Gives them the great commission, go make disciples of all nations, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. That's the ultimate reassurance. I am with you. And then verse 9 is this picture of divine touch. The Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. Remember that Isaiah 6, when Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and, and the seraph, the, the angelic being, touches his lips. Well, here you get the same image of him touching Jeremiah's mouth. I put my words in your mouth. And as a symbolic display of that, he touches his mouth. As I, as I think about this commission, this call, a couple things strike me. I pity two groups of folks. On the one hand, I pity those people who try to sort of conjure their own calling, their own commissioning. I mean, maybe this is what God has commissioned you to do, but you want to do something else. So maybe, maybe it could be ministry you, want, you decided you want to do, or somebody told you one time you'd be good in ministry, and so you think, you know what, looks like a pretty good, pretty good gig, and it doesn't look like it's too hard work. And it looks like they make decent money. And it looks like their church is all over the place, so I can go just about anywhere and get a position. So, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. 
And when I get students at OBU who tell me they're called to ministry, and, and, and I start seeing concerns about that calling and talking to them about the nature of that calling and it, it just doesn't ring authentic to me, then I'm not trying to keep them in my college. I'm not trying to convince them, no, you need to stay in my college. I'm telling them, if there's anywhere else you can go, you should go there. I want them to stay at OBU, but we got other majors. You shouldn't be preparing for ministry unless you have a sense that God has commissioned you to this. I cannot imagine a lifetime of ministry when you do not know that God has called you to it. On the other hand, there are those whom God has called who will not follow through. And those are two ends, but there's going to be a lot of a lack of purpose in life in both of those. And uh, so our good friend Jeremiah the prophet is going to say yes to his commission and it's going to be a long hard road and if you hang around i won't talk too much about his long hard road in this uh in the worship service but tonight probably the last hour i do it's it's my favorite part of jeremiah because we get to see him raw we get to see him um, pouring out his lament to god because of just how hard this commission is. But I want to say before we end, and we're, it's time for us to go, look at the end of this and what God tells him. God's not deceiving him. God's not telling him it's going to be something that it's not. Look at verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Now, when, when, when God says, I've made you this to stand against the whole land, that means the whole land is going to be at odds with you. And yet, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would make our commission clear. We know that sometimes the commission changes in life. You redirect us in another direction. You alter the direction we should be going. Father, I pray we would always be open to your calling, taking us in a new direction or a different direction. Father, I pray we would think deeply and profoundly about what it is you've made us to do and that we would do it, that it would be our inescapable compulsion. In the name of Christ, amen.